Hi, my name is James Morehouse, host of the ABN Resource Podcast. If you're in the lubricants or fuels industry and want the latest market trends, career development tips, and insight from key people in the sector, then this is the podcast for you. If you like the content in today's episode, please leave a review and be sure to subscribe. It really helps us to keep delivering great content direct to you. And now it's time for the podcast. Welcome everybody to another edition of the ABM Resource Podcast. Today it is my pleasure to welcome back a friend of the show, Apu Gasalia, who was one of the early adopters of the ABN Resource Podcast and uh, remains a formidable individual in the world of sustainability for the lubricant industry. And I think the points you're going to hear from him today have a huge validity for uh, a bit of a temperature check on where the sector is when it comes to carbon neutrality and the sustainability journey. So Apu, welcome back to the show. Great to have you. Thank you very much, James. Great to be back. Thank you for inviting me for another podcast. Indeed. Well, we spoke at the beginning of 2021, and now we're recording last week of November 2021. So what progress have you seen for the lubricant sector in achieving carbon neutrality this year? Yeah, that's incredible. Like one year gone again, and sometimes time flies. Yeah. So uh, pouring exactly and directly into your question, actually, there has been, in my perception, a lot of progress, not only, but also for the loop sector, because generally we have got so many, especially in the last two months, uh, decisions which actually support the journey of companies in different sectors. And that means also in the loop sector, in the chemical sector to achieving carbon neutrality. And I would like to mention just two very important developments, which just took place in the last four to six weeks or eight weeks. One was, of course, and everyone knows about it, the very important uh, COP climate summit, the conference of the parties, which mm-hmm. everyone knows just uh, was completed, I think, uh, one and a half to two weeks ago with some interesting results, although there were some disappointments at the end. Yeah, we know about that. But at the end, Uh, If you take everything together, some interesting and important results and decisions. And the second thing, which is also even more important, was, uh, yeah, how should I say, the worldwide first-time launch of a net zero carbon and corporate standard by the Science-Based Target Initiative. Yeah, And that was very important and will be very important as a framework and a guidance, additional guidance for companies on their way to reach carbon neutrality, to become carbon neutral, to decarbonize, and so on. Mm. And I would Mm. say we can go into detail on that. And the third thing was that with regard to progress, and I can say this with regard to my work, when I look at the clients that I have in, but also outside the loop industry, small and medium-sized companies, a lot of progress, which I also could witness on their journey to carbon neutrality with the companies, the people I was involved. Yeah. So I would say overall, if I make a kind of resume of the year, we have more frameworks which will help us. We have got more boundaries and information and support. And I can also say progress with regard to a company or firm specific development. And depending on the time and the structure of the interview, I know time always flies. Is I can highlight some of the most important developments, if you want, with regard to COP26 and or 
the science-based target initiative. Yeah, that would be interesting to touch on. And it's really pleasing to hear such a positive report about the progress that's being made. We still have a long way to go. I mean, that's always the case, but there has been progress. Sorry to interrupt you on that. Yeah, and on that point, Apu, the long way to go, What what is left to be done on that journey, do you think? Okay, and that's a very valid question. So as you just mentioned it very briefly, the question, what is left to be done, can only be answered when I can highlight a little bit more, at least in a nutshell, on, on this just mentioned science-based target initiative and the COP26, not too much. So for me, still, after all, the most important result of the COP26 is that more than 140 countries pledged to reach net zero carbon neutrality and net zero emissions, which cover 90% of the global GDP. So that is a message. So it's clearly no longer about do we need it or not, or do we do it or not, or if we do it, it's only about how do we do it. And that is still something which is important because if you just go back some three, four years, and I know what I'm talking about, it was still with some companies like, oh, can we sit it out somehow? Can we find another way? And I think this is over. So message number one. I don't want to talk even more on the COP26. This is message number one. And let me just briefly say what is so important with regard to a framework or a development or a progress with regard to this uh, science-based target initiative. And once again, the worldwide first net zero corporate standard is that there is an enablement now for companies to align their very specific near and long-term climate action with the limit of global warming, which is this famous 1.5 degrees. So the SBTI, as, as they are called, clarified clearly how to advance, how to go the next step. And second, more, even more important message was that they clearly said companies must have their own plans to achieve net zero carbon emissions, yeah? And then there are a lot of figures behind and so on. But, and this is more important, is companies should also invest and should be able to neutralize and cut and offset the remainder, which we always discussed, yeah, when many people think, well, it's greenwashing, whatever. And we always said that it is absolutely not only allowed, but possible and must to offset and to neutralize the remainder of unavoidable emissions or not yet avoided emissions by other projects across the process and value chain by other means. And these are the two most important outcomes, I think, from the science-based target initiative, because I think we'll come later to that, that even takes, again, the fear which some companies still have. Yeah, we all we want to do all of this, but can we do it? Is it greenwashing and so on? We both know, and I think yeah. ABN has been also a front runner and a mover on this, but we still know Many companies uh, are afraid, so don't want to go too far. So that is actually, for me, the most important outcomes in this year and the progress, because that will, again, lead the way for more companies now to join. And your question was, I don't want to forget it, what is left to be done? Yeah? And it yeah. again comes back to, and I'm, I'm quite sure some, some of the listeners, and I apologize for that, but it always stays the same, cannot hear it anymore, but it is the most important thing which I always like to call the 3C approach. What is left to be done on the journey to carbon neutrality? Well, it's calculate, cut down, and compensate. So for all of those who have not yet done it, the first thing is to really calculate your corporate footprint. And that has to be done according to a standard. There is only one de facto standard with which 
all companies, not only loop companies, but all companies in the world must do it. And that's the greenhouse gas protocol. I think we covered that also in other podcasts, but I just want yeah. to mention it again. So first thing is what is left to be done? All circled around your question. If not yet done so, calculate your emissions, use a de facto standard, which is the greenhouse gas protocol, aka the ICE 14064, which are aligned to each other. Step number one. Then cut down your emissions intrinsically. Make a plan on what are your top emitters. The calculation will give you an overview about your top emitters in the company. And most companies always feel and think we know our top emitters, but believe me, and I've got now since two years, I've got so many calculations with so many clients. There are also big surprises when companies say, well, I always thought it's energy-related, my top emissions. Now I see that it's waste-related. Now I see that it's commuting. So the calculation is the basis to identify the top emitters. Calculate. Then you know what your top emitters are, and then you need to define strategies to come down with your own CO2 with regard to if it's energy-related, let's change our energy. If it's commuting-related or whatever, let's do something there. It will be always very individual. And the third step is then, and that's why I'm so happy about the science-based target initiative, is the compensation. And one important thing before we go to the next question, but that is very important. If you go back five or 10 years ago, and maybe I mentioned it already, coming back to the fear or again to this topic that actually companies wanted to do a lot, but can we do it? Are we mm -hmm. going to get the pressure and so on? And it is so so much easier right now because maybe five or 10 years ago, you needed to have courage. So I'm, I'm talking about always the three C's. And actually for me, there is a fourth C which is in a subtle way also, and that is the C for courage. And uh, sorry to say, so the word courage and the word coward both starts with the letter C. And uh, I want to say that now it's so much easier. You do not even have to be so courageous because the guidelines are there. The Kyoto Protocol, the Clean Development Mechanism, the COP26, the science-based targets all say, companies, please make your own plan but please offset and compensate with serious projects your unavoidable emissions. And that is actually what is left on the journey to carbon neutrality. Nothing more than that. Make the calculation, cut down, and do it parallel. That is important. So some years ago, companies thought, well, we have to first clean house, and it might take seven years, and only then we can compensate. And the great thing now is that all the aforementioned bodies say, don't do it sequentially. We don't have time anymore. You have to do one thing without leaving to do the other thing. So make your strategy and compensate at the same time. And there are many examples, as you know, from companies who were courageous and who have done it, like to mention Bosch and other companies who said, we have our plan, we have our strategy to change the battery production, everything, but it will take 11 years. And we do not want to be a burden to the climate. We cannot be a burden to the climate and the planet for 11 years till we have done this. So we are doing two things at the same time. We have a strategy and we come down. And at the same time, we become carbon neutral now and not in 11. So sorry so, if I was too long, but that is uh, the most important thing for your question number two. Well, and thank you. You know, I think you, you map it out really effectively. But I was interested to know, are there barriers that you see that stop this kind of development happening that you've talked about? 
of course, there are barriers still. And uh, actually, uh, you see, um, I wanted to actually answer to this question, there are no barriers. The only barrier is fear. Now, fear is a feeling. Yeah, We do not want to go into mm. psychology, but this is my personal view now on a personal basis, but also sometimes with companies and so on. And maybe it's also understandable, but the biggest barrier is actually fear because otherwise there are no barriers. Because how should I say, as I just mentioned before, I do not want to uh, repeat myself, the standards are now there. You don't have to be courageous anymore. Everyone says, please do it. You will even be rewarded when you do it and you will not be sanctionized. If you do it the right way, I mean, greenwashing, let's talk later about it, is still there. If you do something alone in your dark room, if you use standards and everything, there is no greenwashing anymore in this uh, journey. So the barriers mm. are actually only due to fear. And in most cases, I feel when I talk to companies, it's, it's wrong fear. And once you explain to them how to do it and why they don't need to be afraid in doing so, because they will, then the fear is gone. Because otherwise, James, talking about barriers, you can always say, well, barriers might be on the monetary side and the money side. But I think mm. you've also overcome this right now because actually companies and most of them know this lose more money if they don't go the sustainable way, the carbon neutral way, because the pressure is coming from stakeholders, from other governmental yeah. bodies and so on, which now this is a fundamental change to maybe 10 years ago, where they say, if you don't do this, you will pay money for your CO2 emissions. This is increasing. You will pay money for not being sustainable. You will not be in the basket of investments anymore. Uh, you will not get the best talents and everything. And companies know that. So actually, I think, honestly, is my view, there are no monetary barriers anymore, only if you don't do it. Yeah? So the only barrier for me is actually yeah, the fear or misinformation sometimes. Like if we offset we will get punished and things like that. And so I think education, Yeah, I don't want to be arrogant, but education or information is important. And I can really speak from my own examples that sometimes I get always clients and, and, and people who say, oh, the pressure is so high, we don't know what to do and so on. And I just talk to them half an hour and give them some information, say, we should start the journey, but first you get rid of your unnecessary fear. Yeah. So maybe it's not the answer you expected, but for me, actually, the biggest barrier in that development is the wrong fear. And I do not want to reiterate the two C's that I just mentioned between courage and coward, because that might seem uh, not right or fair. Yeah. So I mentioned it now, but right. but I think you know what I'm going. And let me let me say a final thing. Sorry for that, because what I also sometimes try to explain to companies when it's just coming to the calculation of the CO2, not even the strategies and so on, because some are also still hesitant or they say, well, why should we calculate? I say, you have, even though if you're a big or a small company, since 20 years, you've got a financial balance. So why isn't it clear to everyone that if you've got a financial balance to make up an ecological balance? Maybe you may not decide, I would recommend it to you, but maybe you may not decide to become carbon neutral immediately. And that's okay. I would vote for it, but it's okay. Maybe you have not yet got money or time for making all the strategies work because you are in a pandemic situation, you've got other problems. That is also okay. But I cannot understand sometimes, and I try to convince people, calculate it at least and have a clear guide. Put it in the drawer if you want. But when, when a stakeholder comes around, a young talent, a governmental body and asks you, did you calculate your emissions? 
And then you can say, well, we calculated it. We are still on the way of our strategy, but we calculated. So coming back yeah. to the barrier question, if a company calculates and tries to develop a strategy and goes the way, there are no barriers. I don't see any. Yeah. yeah, and I think fear often exists through a lack of clarity and understanding. So I think you highlight a really important part in educating people that don't have the knowledge. And then, you know, when they've got that, they've got the information to act. I mean, for those companies that we can say are sustainable, what benefits are those businesses seeing with that sustainability being in place? You see, to be too, to be quite, uh, that's why you also see me not hesitating, but I'm even thinking again when I when I hear that question, it's it's an interesting question because before I go into answering it, I'm just thinking uh, about the nature of the. It's a it's a good question, so don't get me wrong. No criticism, James. But when you say <laughs> for those companies that can say they're sustainable, yeah, let's start with that. And I give you my view, and I think in my in my former positions, and I think whenever I was also making presentations, or I said, I, I think I always said, hopefully I did, and I'm, I'm saying this now, I think sustainability or being sustainable as an end stadium doesn't even exist. So mm. I think companies mm. can only talk or should talk about, we have started the sustainability journey, we are now at this stage, we are at this stage, but I think sustainability is a journey which never ends that means okay, sustainability yeah. is a continuous process of continuous improvement. And so I know I'm now a little bit, maybe I'm a little bit stiff as German right now, forgive me for that. But I would even start in not even mentioning as a company, that would be a recommendation, we are sustainable. Because I think companies can, even the best one, the best companies can always only be at a certain stage in their sustainability journey. So that, that is my first thinking, if, if you would allow me to say that. yeah. So I would rather say for those companies, and paraphrase the question before answering it in that way, for those companies that can say, we are on our sustainability journey since 10 years, since five years, and what are the benefits that we saw or we are seeing? I would like to answer the question in this way, if you don't mind. And yeah. the, the answer to the question then is, when I paraphrase in this way, is innovation, competitive advantage, business continuity, a profit. Yeah? I think the companies that, regardless of the sector, I mean, we are talking loop industry now, but there, there are also big companies, uh, publicly listed companies, small and medium-sized companies. And I think every company, even in the same sector, will have certain benchmarks and measurements, reporting requirements, no doubt about it. But I think there is still... And I know it's not only thinking, there is still breathing room that depending on where you're standing and what you need to comply with, yeah, you always have the breathing room to say, now what do I do in addition on my sustainability journey and what are the benefits when I look at my particular DNA? What is the history of my loop development? Why do I exist? How was the development? And what do I personally or specifically individually want to do on my journey. So this is just uh, some, how should I say, some experience that I got in the last two years talking to so many different companies, even in the loop sector and uh, coming to the benefits. So innovation is certainly something, you know, innovation is a word, to be quite frankly, it's always loose like, like sustainability. It's a buzzword. Everyone uses it. Everyone right. understands something else about it. It's an inflationary use word. I mean, mm. we only have the word sustainability, yeah, but it's sometimes 
the connotation is has become so negative because everyone uses it. And my perception is with innovation, it's a great word, but what does it mean? So I think innovation and sustainability are two sides of the same coin. Because if you do not innovate your business model, if you do not think beyond anything, thinking beyond your own gate to gate or created to gate, like what can we do else with our business? Can we get in partnerships with other companies to maybe just give you an example, one client I have to suck the CO2 of the atmosphere out and make a new raw material out of it. It's possible and things like that. So innovation is definitely a benefit. Competitive advantage is and becomes at least with some companies a benefit because the front runners and first movers who can offer to their clients not only the information via CO2 neutral as a company, but here mm. our loop products have become CO2 neutral because we calculated it, we calculated product carbon footprint, they stay longer in your machine, they save more CO2, and we don't only say it, we have measured it. So this comes to competitive advantage. And this is not something I'm just saying theoretically, not mention the companies, but this is happening right now with some companies. Business continuity and profit, let me just highlight on these two now, regardless of the business. I mean, I don't want to come with the old idea to say, well, sustainability means business continuity. It means, but I mean, in such a disruption time that we have discovered right now with other things, some companies also say, and I think it's right. I mean, now this is a clear disruption pandemic and everything. We have to rethink our business models. We have to restart and again. Wouldn't this be the best time, if, if we have not yet done so before, to start in a sustainable way, in a more sustainable way, in trying to combine profit part, the planet part, and the people part? Yeah. So that is my answer to business continuity and benefits and sustainability. And the profit part, I think we've covered. Now, I don't want to mention my other acronyms again, but while saying this, of course, I will do so. It's profit, planet, and people. And as you know, my thinking is always that the answer that was given 20 years ago when you asked the CEOs, what are your three Ps? And they answered profit, profit, profit. It's not given from anyone right now because every mm. CEO knows whether he believes in it, that I cannot say, but everyone will answer. It's the profit part, but while making these profits, we have to be aware of the carbon foot of the ecological footprint. It's not always the carbon footprint and the social footprint we leave behind because profits can no longer be measured only in a monetary way. We've touched on this uh, a little bit earlier in the conversation with some of the phrases you were saying, but I was curious to know for companies that are on that sustainability journey, how would they go about marketing that to their external audience or you know even their internal audience so colleagues etc how do you market sustainability yeah i mean i would say there is a short answer and a little bit longer answer the short answer is and that is based on i would say my previous experience of more than 20 years in a company and my two years experience now as a sustainability consultant where i've got totally different contexts now and so on also beyond the limitations of the sector of lubricants or a chemical industry so the short answer is it all goes back to leading by example and a marketing in a sense like let me take an expression and explain it what i mean. best practice examples and everything if you know that you are doing something correct within parameters of the law that is given if you know that you are not greenwashing and everything 
It's really do something good and talk about it. That's the simple answer. And the longer answer would be, you didn't even ask for it, but I would like to mention it proactively. I mean, when you say market or marketing, then there is always two expressions which are in the news, right or wrong. The one thing is greenwashing, but I always like to talk, there is greenwashing on the one side and there exists greenwashing. I'm not saying that everyone is great. I think every one of our listeners and maybe you yourself can think at least of one or three companies who we know it's not the right way. It's greenwashing and that has no substance to the inside. So that exists. But mm. there is greenwashing on the one side and there is green marketing on the other side. And what does green marketing mean? It's nothing negative. On the contrary, it's the direct opposite. It means you've done something in the correct way with regard to climate neutrality, to sustainability in general. You've measured it. And then I say to the companies, do it and market for it. Inspire others. Because if more people do the right thing and companies and inspire others, then others, the doubters, the no-sayers or naysayers, the companies with fear will follow. And I, I, I'm not mentioning this now just because we are talking, but believe me. Yeah? And uh, so you will have to buy me a beer for that anyway. But I'm always using the best practice examples of the industry of companies who have already done it, regardless of their business model. And of course, it's also you. Yeah. So credit to you and ABN. And I mean this because everyone, and it's not necessarily production companies in every industry, can start the journey, be aware, and you've done it. And I'm also using you in the sense as a best practice example for green marketing. So coming back to your question, how would you market sustainability? By giving the best examples of those companies who have done it, who have done it in the right way, to inspire others. Now, that is the general broad expression. If your question was related to how do you do it very technically, then of course, you this podcast might be a marketing, maybe if it was not intended, and talk about it on your homepage, give the examples. So what I can also say, and this is very important, some companies do really so many good things and they've done it yeah? maybe even a long time ago, but out of some reason, they're not marketing it. Yeah? because they might feel some wrong pressure or whatever. And so let's take an example. If you've got this minutes from your company or also other companies. So let's say if a company has really done the 3C approach correctly in calculating and looking at its own business, having a strategy and also offsetting the unavoidable emissions, then explain your journey. Don't hide it. Explain it. Be transparent. And yeah, you will get questions. And I think you also got questions and maybe also some doubters will say, oh, this is, and then you can say, thank you for your question. No, we did it according to the standard. We have got our strategy. And that's why I come back everything again to the courage and everything. So how would you market sustainability by doing the right thing and talking about it uh, and not hiding? So I don't know if that answers fully your question. It does. And, you know, I asked it because uh, we've seen some businesses be very vocal about it. We've seen some businesses be very quiet about their sustainability journey. And, you know, I, I do think there is a value in marketing what you've done that's good and letting people know about it because it, it should inspire others that are maybe a bit behind you on that journey to, to take those steps. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Having authenticity and transparency exactly. when you're when you're talking about it is really important as well. 
I couldn't not ask you a people-based question, being a, <laughs> being a recruitment company at our heart. So I'm going to talk about social sustainability rather than the uh, environmental and economic sustainability, which is what we've done so far. If I'm a CEO of a company and I want to get onto this sustainability journey, how, how do I get the people around me in my team and in my business invested in that journey and, and on board with it as well, do you think? Yeah. Very good question. And of course, you had, you had to mention it because when, when we always talk about three Ps and my, my acronyms and everything, we've covered now, I think, the P for planet and we've covered the P for profit. So the P for people is definitely missing. Yeah? So it's a perfect We got match. them all in the end. Yeah, we've yeah. got them all, James. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. No, and it's actually, I wouldn't say most important because otherwise it feels like I we say most important to everything. But at the end, I think we should not rate the importance of the three Ps or whatever, because the challenge is always to say to balance them out, that to say that it's not one thing is important or more important. The challenge to all the companies is still that there has to be a balance between all of these. All of these are important. The profit is important because at the end, and it's not unethical. Let me answer it in this way, just coming to the people side because it's all connected together. And yes, the profit in, in the worst case, if a company doesn't make profits at the end, it will cease to exist. And how can they then make an impact in the future if they are not there? So the profit part is always important. The planet part, we don't need to talk about it. And the people part is the same thing. Without people and committed people, the company cannot exist. So a very valid, yeah. and that's why I say, if not the most important question, then at least the right question at the end that has to be stated at the end of a podcast, definitely. And how do you get people invested and involved? Maybe I mentioned also a couple of minutes before, leading by example. Now that sounds easy, but it's really what my experience is. So that means people will always follow CEOs or company leaders or be committed if they see they really mean it. Yeah? So if it's not... And, and you know, some companies still have it in their mission statement, maybe because they have to do it or because and so on. And it's quite easy after a certain time, if it's not lived by top-down structure, really in your daily business in any way, with inside the company, outside, I think people, young employees, and uh, not even young, generally people feel that and see, well, it's not walk the talk. Yeah. So the, the, the answer to the question is, how do you get people involved? And you mentioned the word by yourself. I think the best word is authenticity. Yeah? So that means do something, but then also try to live it up. Might not be possible in every decision, but the general tone of the CEO and, and not only the CEO, actually, if you have got three columns, it must be the entire management board. Yeah? It must be lived in the entire management board. And then the people feel it. So how do you get people invested if they see it's really serious and it's really truthfulness what the company bought? That, that, that's my first answer. And then I think that the second answer is, and that has also changed. And here I'm coming with my experience over the last two years as a lecturer to many universities, to many young people and to many future employees of companies who are just now in their finalization phase of their bachelor or master and so on. And I'm lecturing these people on sustainability and corporate, and we talk a lot, especially in these times. And it's really the fact, yeah, and you definitely have also discovered it, that the questions that the young people and the, the future talents ask to companies are not exactly the same 
that than the questions that I asked 25 years ago when when I uh, asked for my yeah. first job. Of course, they still want to have job security. They want to make a career and everything okay. But I think, and we can pull up any poll, if it's not rank number two, sometimes it's even rank number one, but let's be decent, rank number two or rank number three of the top three questions from the young talents is, what kind of company are you? Especially important for a loop or chemical company, are you a good company? And what do you do for the future? Uh, and, and am I working for a company which is sustainable? These questions are there. And so if these questions are not answered, then the best talents will not be going to those companies. And I don't want to go too far, but I think the question still was, how do you get people invested? So I answered it partly for, I think for companies and their employees, yeah, it's still the question of finding this right balance between profit and purpose. I, I call it purpose to just evoke another P. Yeah. But I think more and more companies and their employees are talking about their purpose, about the objective, about like the French say, their raison d'être, which goes beyond just making a, a profit. And I think you'll get the young people invested if you've got a plan for the profit, for, for everything, definitely, but also a plan that goes beyond only the profit part, the purpose part, and to involve them into, if you work for us, that's what I say, you are building a kind of better future. I, that always seems very, if you talk about future and saving the planet, some say it's philanthropic and esoteric. No, it's business-related. Business related. Yeah, that's my. I get it, and I think um, you know the lubricants industry has an amazing opportunity now for talent attraction. If we can communicate effectively what the industry is about and the value it it does for the planet, and I think people can get behind that purpose. It's a very compelling one, but it's something we can all take responsibility for. You participating in this podcast today is one such initiative, I think, where we can start spreading the word of what the sector does. And coming to the top of your answer, leadership, I believe, is a key factor in making it happen as well. It's got to come come from the top to get that buy-in and make it happen as well. Okay, I feel well. I think that's a, a good place to to stop for today. So I'm going to say thank you very much for another very insightful discussion to listeners of the show you can see apu will put some social links to linkedin profile etc so you can follow and see the content that he's putting out on there i think there's also been a great series in lubes and greases magazine this year with your sustainability insight as well which is well worth a look if you Thank want you. To, to read more on that i can only say uh, before it's cut down thank you very much once again it's always really a pleasure to talk to you and you know i mean it and yeah, as you mentioned in the beginning, we are at the end of nearly reaching the end of the year. Last time we talked was the beginning of the year. And so I can only say, and I really mean this, especially to you and yeah, also to the listeners, stay sustainable. <laughs> Always. You're going to have to get that trademark now. Stay sustainable. Uh, yeah. Before someone else does. Then. <laughs> <laughs> Thank okay. you. Take care, Apu. Thank you, Jay. Thank you for joining us on today's ABN resource podcast. We would love to hear your feedback, so please subscribe and review on your preferred media and get in touch for any suggestions on future content and your observations. Thank you for listening.